down in the Vancouver airport. I found a book about Newt Rasmussen. Uh, very good book about his explorations. And um, he was this great explorer, but he also um, collected stories of um, the old people. He particularly would seek out the old women <laughs> and get the stories. And uh, this he heard um, while traveling. He heard it while traveling west of Baffin Island and east of Alaska. And it's called The Tale of the Little Mosquito. There was once a tiny mosquito that flew out into the world. It was so small that it thought people did not notice it. But when it was hungry, it landed on the hand of a boy, and while it rested, it heard someone say, Uh-oh, that nasty mosquito, crush it fast. But then the mosquito could suddenly speak so that the boy could hear it. Spare my life, spare my life. I have a little grandson who will cry if I do not come home. And then the storyteller says, just think, so small and yet a grandfather. And I just love this story. I love this story so much because it's so easy for us to forget that a mosquito doesn't have relatives, right? You know, and it's like this metta practice is meant to help soften our heart enough so that we get, get out of our human-centered reality. And I, I feel like um, coming back to Hollyhock the same time of year, I feel like, um, for example, there's a song sparrow that sings in the bush near where I stay for 30 years. And I know that's not the same, same song sparrow, but I know it's probably a great-grandchild. And I feel that connection a lot. Like, I feel it very deeply. I just bow, and I'm so happy, particularly <laughs> the way the planet's going, that there still are song sparrows. Or that there still are ducks. There's much less, but there's still some. And, you know, this is, this is why the planet is the way it is, because we, we don't get it. We don't get that they're family. They're our family, but that they have families. We're just so cut off. It's very sad. My father's mother came from um, Newfoundland, Morton's Harbor, and I still sometimes will look at the map. I've never been there to see in that time, you know, late 1800s. It's, it was like, <laughs> it's, it's like I can't even relate to how remote it is. And I've lived in very remote places. Uh, 
And she always would say to me that I didn't know what snow was, that I could never imagine how much snow she grew up with. When, you know, I didn't visit her that often, but when I did, when I was very young, she would get up at like three in the morning and cook. Uh, and I would hear her um, in the kitchen. I would get up too. I loved that my mom didn't cook at all. So I loved her capacity to function. And um, so I would hear her call everything the same word. So she would call the stove Johnny. And she would call the pots and pans Johnny. And she'd call the spoon Johnny. And so she was constantly talking to Johnny. And when I was a kid, I was like, wow, is she crazy? You know, like I was like, whoa. And I was old enough to know, wow, this is really strange. Um, but then I just got used to it. And my last year, when I was on a month-long self-retreat, and um, I was feeling cut off. And uh, I was walking along the road, and I started calling everything Johnny. And it cut it. It just cut the disconnect. It was amazing. I'm not saying you should call everything Johnny. <laughs> Maybe Matilda, or you know, whatever you want. But it's like, it's, it's more that sense that um, she had that relationship. In my retreat uh, this past time, part of um, it was a long retreat, so maybe early middle of it. Um, there, it was a a darker time for me, and uh, I started just having the sun. The sun was like this great friend. It was sort of like, for some reason, it was the only thing that I that re- reached me at that time, going for walks in the morning. And I think that you'll find when you're here in the retreat that there will be tree, a tree, or a stone, or an eagle, or something that will touch your heart. And we, in the traditional sense of the metta practice, we call that the benefactor. It's an old-fashioned word, but when we say, you know, cultivate the easiest being or place you can find, that translates into the category that we were taught of benefactor. You know, and it's tricky teaching in a modern culture because that word even sometimes people can't connect with. So the idea behind it is that um, when I say, you know, you connect, it means that it, you connect but something happens in the heart. Like it, it can just even be very quiet but it can just be like a that's teeniest, tiniest softening. It can be very quiet. I think sometimes we expect such intensity, but it's not necessarily like that. I think in, in, a, in a modern sense, for most people, there has to be a certain numbness or disconnect in the busyness or uh, a sense at least of um, 
a self-importance in the busyness. So understanding relationship and how our attention is related to relationship is the basis of both practices, of the metta practice, the loving-kindness practice, and the vipassana. Uh, and it, when you, when you um, kind of plummet the depths of what that meaning is, it means that we're learning to access a relationship of love and wisdom with anything that appears, that we don't have to banish any part of ourselves or any part of anyone else or any part of the universe because you, you have practiced a relationship. So for example, if fear comes up, there isn't that sense, oh, I thought I got rid of that last retreat. It's more like, oh, it might not be, oh boy, <laughs> my great cousin fear, but it's, it is your great cousin fear, but you know, maybe you want it to be a distant cousin instead of like next door. But whatever, that this, the freedom, this, this, these practices are about freedom of choice. And so it has nothing to do with getting rid of anything or getting anything. It's much more how we're relating to the experience. How are we relating to the experience? It doesn't matter what the experience is, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. In, the, um, in Burma and in Thailand, which are Buddhist countries, uh, there's a lot of imagery of the Buddha's footprint. And it's... Um, it feels very meaningful to me, that, that sense of... Uh, <laughs> it's so grounded, right? To have embroideries and beautiful art of the, the Buddha's foot. It's not the Buddha's head. It's not the Buddha's heart. It's the Buddha's foot. And, and, and that's something to really contemplate. It's like, it's so grounded. It's so embodied. And, and it's so meaningful in that it's really that chance, any time we take a step, that there can be peace. That any time we take a step, that there can be peace. Thich Nhat Hanh, his incredible description of refugees in a boat and that when anybody panics everybody can go overboard but if one person is peaceful it can save everybody and this is really motivating you know this is important for us this is not just theoretical <laughs> this is happening happening it's happening if you if you're really agitated about something it's helpful to back off 
it's not that there's anything wrong with the agitation. It's much more that you can transform it into something healthy and helpful rather than unhelpful. Uh, this is a quotation from Srinazargadatta Maharaj from the book I Am That. The waters of life are thundering over the rocks of objects, desirable or hateful. Remove the rocks by insight and detachment, and the same waters will flow deep and silent and swift in greater volume and greater power. The same waters, the same turbulent waters, this is what we're doing, flow deep and silent and swift. So we're not changing anything, right? We're learning how to relate differently. Uh, one of my first teachers was named Tungpulu Sayadaw, and um, right before I met him at the Boston airport, um, it said that he had spent 33 years in a cave meditating. And he had come out of the cave to come <laughs> to, to America. And I was just like, wow, you know, this was 1978, and I couldn't even imagine it, right? Like, I was like, 33 years in a cave. It didn't even compute. Like, wow, okay, great. Um, and I used to bring him his food um, at this meditation center. Uh, he's very quiet. Um, he made us take the bed out of the room because he didn't li- ever, he hadn't lied down for 33 years either. That was startling. Okay, <laughs> take the bed out. But anyway, um, whenever I would come in and offer him food, he would say to me, um, keep your mind like water, not like a rock, but like water. Every time, just keep your mind like water, not like a rock. And that was really helpful. And um, I think sometimes for me, that kind of simplicity, an elemental way of describing how the mind or heart can be, is helpful. The Buddha described metta as like a, a soft light rain. Kind of perfect for the Northwest, huh? <laughs> but you can, you know, it's so... Again, that it's not like a, a downpour, but just that soft rain. It's softening. And what is it softening? The rock. The resistance. Why do we teach it? Why are we so motivated to teach it? Because we know how much modern people need softening. And when you practice long enough, you start to see that it's the resistance to what's happening that's so painful. 
It's like, it's the resistance to the grief that's so painful. The grief isn't so hard, but it's not wanting it, thinking you shouldn't have it, that you got rid of it, that you want happiness without grief or whatever. It's like, ah, it's all that non-acceptance. So the metta, our deepest motivation for teaching metta or offering it is because we know that being with things as they are is hard without the softening. Um, so what, another way to say that is that resistance is totally okay. Because we can hear about, okay, water, rock, and, and then again we'll start feeling like, oh, resistance isn't okay. But resistance has been our great protector. And I think that the best imagery I can use for that is if, and the garden is such a great, the, the garden in spring, this is the perfect time to hear the metaphor over and over spring. Because you look at the flower buds and we're each like a flower bud, we, and we all open in our own time. But we're closed for a reason. And that, that if you know it's okay to close, you'll be more likely to try opening. But if you think you just have to be open all the time and feel all the pain in the world when you don't have the protection of mindfulness and or metta, then you won't open. It's, it's like this, it, I think of it as like the iris of the eye that can open and close and open and close and open and close. So um, another way to talk about loving kindness or metta is that it's love, it's an unconditional love, but what that means is that it's love infused with wisdom. And whenever we hit the conditional love, um, it usually means that <laughs> we're not accepting something painful. And if, if you look at, um, and this is where the wisdom comes in, because the wisdom tells us that, that life is pain and pleasure and neutral. Uh, and, I, you know, I love coming up here again, because you see, maybe you like eagles, but you don't like ants, Right? Like there's that sense of looking, looking outside of ourselves. You know, you look at who you might already judge as somebody here that you don't like, and it's not based on anything. Nothing. And you look at people that you might like, and then you talk to them at the end, and you're like, wow, I don't like this person, right? Like it, we're, we're just nuts. We have the, all these ideas about people. And it's not based on anything, but inside there's this idea um, that some, somebody's more pleasurable, somebody's more painful, and somebody's more neutral. Same with animals. And it's like that's our job, is to start noticing that we can have these preferences, but that... that um, the judgment hurts. 
if you believe it. So another way that we talk about um, the process of the a loving kindness retreat is that it's it's called breaking down the barriers. And sometimes ourselves will be the difficult person. And so it's a gradual process in a lifetime of breaking down the barriers between ourself and ourself. Or it's like breaking down the barriers between yourself and someone else. Or breaking down the barriers between yourself and a mosquito. Do you see? It's like, it's like this process of starting to see where the barrier is. And in, what I love about this practice is that the means and ends are the same. So you're not breaking the barrier down with willpower. And you're not breaking the barrier down with a battering ram. You're breaking the barrier down through love. So that if you hit a place in the process where you have a a contraction. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.